0: Dolan Mercer
1: On Manx Radio
0: Faster My, good afternoon and welcome to this week's episode of Perspective on Manx Radio
2: On the programme this week If you look at the um, budget update, the purple book as it's being known, there isn't an awful lot of information in there to on which to base some of these decisions, there's not an awful lot of that business feedback, there's a lot of that macroeconomic data, it's a very much a finger in the wind document. It's
0: been a big week for the Isle of Man as Treasury Minister Alf Cannon told us how he thinks the island is faring in the wake of the Covid-19 pandemic and the resulting economic fallout. The July interim budget update paints a picture of our national financial health, I'll be joined in the studio by two chartered accountants, two auditors from the House of Keys, Mr Speaker, Dewan Watterson, and Ramsey MHK, Laurie Hooper, to get their assessments of the week that was. But first, let's cast our minds back to Tuesday, when Alf Cannon said £100 million worth of public money is going to be taken from reserves to help the Manx economy bounce back from coronavirus. It'll be used to create a new recovery fund to support businesses and create employment opportunities on an island suffering high levels of unemployment. Ewan Gorn talks us through that announcement.
3: £100 million is being asked today to prepare this nation to succeed, to create opportunities for training and retraining, to create opportunities for infrastructure delivery, to create and support jobs, to support businesses and to support our island.
1: An economic recovery fund of £100 million taken from reserves to support and assist people and businesses, but details on exactly how this will be spent and what jobs it will create at this stage remains unclear. What we do know is the new fund will replace much of the direct government help, which has kept thousands of people in employment and thousands of businesses afloat. Mira and salary support, along with other initiatives, are being phased out for all except industry which continue to suffer, like tourism and fisheries. It's understood the schemes will have paid out more than £70 million. Cutting them short may lead to job losses, admits Treasury member Bill Shimmons, who says the new recovery fund should help create new ones.
3: It's a key priority for us is to
0: really help people who are facing that uh, situation uh, of unemployment. Uh, we've been very fortunate in Ireland over the last few decades that we've had very low levels of unemployment. We expect that that will unfortunately rise. Um, so what we're looking to do is put lots of extra opportunities in terms of training, in terms of support packages, um, helping people potentially tra- transition to new work and, and helping them do that. So that's that's really one of the key planks of the, the, the measures that we were bringing out today.
1: But who's going to provide these new positions in the digital and green industries? Treasury member Ralph Peake says the private sector. When you come to the actual jobs, it, again, that will be a partnership. Government can't do this by itself.
0: Professor Curran was very clear about that. The government really can only produce about 50% of the uh, projects and the jobs. We really need to be looking to the private sector not only to fund projects but also the private sector deliver the projects okay. also announced on tuesday public finances have taken a hit of between 120 and 190 million pounds according to treasury estimates that was one of mr cannon's forecasts as timwald approved his request to let treasury borrow up to 250
1: million from banks Ewan looks over those numbers. It's estimated that government coffers may have suffered a hit of anywhere between 120 and £190 million pounds in revenue due to the disruption caused by coronavirus. Departments have also seen their income go down to the tune of £25 million. Tinwald has agreed to Treasury's request for borrowing powers of up to £250 million pounds from a number of banks to meet future financial challenges if required. It's being billed as an insurance policy, but Tynwald members, including Chris Thomas, MHK, want to know exactly how much the borrowing will cost.
2: Everything has a cost, and it's only fair that as we talk about public sector pensions cost and and, um, go back to old arguments, we need to have the new information so that we can't be accused of trying to, in any sense, camouflage something that's very, very important. Because having an insurance policy in place, which is necessary, in my humble opinion, costs, and we need to know what that insurance policy costs, because it'll be public information eventually.
1: And some, like Jason Morehouse MHK, are against the idea entirely. Boring
0: really does concern me. We are playing a dangerous game. We are in a good position now, and all the bankers want to be our friends. (laughs) The global markets have recovered significantly, and we must not
3: be afraid to sell some assets if that is appropriate.
1: Mr Cannon insists the borrowing is only there if required.
3: It's a prudent measure rather than taking the the risk potentially of cashing in investments that are at a lower stock level than we think that they can aspire to. I think the critical point though actually will be in the longer term, is there going to be a change in government's fiscal strategy in terms of do we undertake longer term borrowing uh, sovereign debt to somehow deal with either the crisis or potentially look ahead to the future in terms of investments.
0: So, a new economic fund, borrowing powers and the end of certain COVID-related support schemes were all ushered in Tuesday's budget statement. Some complained the public aren't given adequate time to consider budget plans. Ewan Gorn joins us once more to
1: explain how some of those changes will affect you. Unless you're working in the accommodation, tourism or travel industries, you're not going to be able to receive salary support or MIRA in future. Treasury is ending this kind of support for now, though normal benefits are still available. To deal with the likely unemployment caused by this move, it's promised new jobs but not provided much detail on where they're coming from. You may also notice more building work going on around the island as government seeks to accelerate certain projects to boost the local economy. Other than that, the update was more a reflection on the state of public finances following coronavirus rather than the introduction of a raft of new measures and reflected a change from direct to indirect COVID-related support. Speaker of the House of Keys, Julian Watterson, was critical of the way this statement was delivered without public buy-in and feels people have, should have been given the time to digest it beforehand.
2: Where the Treasury Minister could have been going up and down um, the Isle of Man in the last two weeks, having put this on the order paper championing it um, listening to businesses talking about how it could work instead we've had two weeks of information lockdown members have been briefed the first that the public gets of all this is today and why
1: it's likely the next generation of working people will feel the effects of the pandemic. Archie and Ewan from the Student Climate Network gave me their reaction to today's statement.
0: Since the budget's come out, I've asked a few people about it. And what I've kind of heard back is either apathy or like a very keen interest. And I think that kind of just illustrates the political engagement of people our age. So whilst there is definitely some interesting stuff
2: and uh, it's interesting to read through for people like us, it's not really of interest to in most people our age. It's also quite hard to digest. Yeah. So I think the government may be making a more s- s- simplified version of, of the mm. budget, like the infographics they made for the original budget, but making it more in-depth for covering the whole budget and what
1: exactly, breaking it down for just the general populace, because mm. it's not just students who find the government's uh, jargon very hard to understand. Journalists them. too. The journalists too. It, it, it It's complicated. And it kind of it separates those who understand and it gives them almost a higher
2: sense of, oh, I know what's going on, than the other everyday Joe Bloggs, who has no idea what's happening.
0: you and Gorn with that. I'm joined in the studio by two MHKs with a professional background in scrutinising finances, budgets and accounts. Ramsey MHK Laurie Hooper trained and qualified as a chartered accountant at PwC with a focus on audits before working for Crow Morgan. Russian MHK, Juan Watterson, is also a chartered accountant and worked as an audit senior at KPMG. A reminder then, this is how Treasury Minister Alf Cannon set the scene for his interim budget update this week.
3: Failing now to take continued action to protect our economy in these circumstances would in effect be preparing our economy to fail. We cannot just stand by, we must act. So today I have asked Tinwall to approve further direct measures to support our businesses and our economy, which includes the creation of a £100 million economic recovery fund to be able to respond to the continued threats and to assist the island in tackling both the expected and indeed the unexpected when it comes to what happens next both economically and intrinsically interlinked from a health perspective.
0: That was Treasury Minister Alf Cannon speaking in his address to Timwold on Tuesday morning. Uh, The headline figure then really up to £100 million. Mr Hooper, in your contribution to the debate on Tuesday, uh, you spoke about concerns of borrowing in those levels in the hundreds of millions um, and said you wanted to see where this fits with the longer term plan for the Isle of Man government. Uh, Do you feel you got an answer to
4: those concerns first? Uh, No. In short, I didn't. So when, when the changes originally were made to the Loans Act uh, that was kind of rushed through both houses uh, very quickly uh, I, I made a, an amendment or tried to make an amendment to the bill that would require some of this information to be presented to Timwell before the borrowing happened or, or as the borrowing happened really just to make sure there was some oversight, some governance around it and I asked the Treasury Minister in my remarks if he would please outline because he didn't approve this amendment didn't get supported by, by government uh, what governance arrangements were going to be put in place and the man does borrow we have done in the past but not to this scale and certainly not at a national level, it's not, uh, not something we are particularly familiar with and whilst other countries uh, borrow regularly to fund uh, revenue, day to day spending uh, I don't think that's a, a good habit to get into, I don't think that's something we should be doing and really the question I was asking the <coughs> Treasury Minister is are we going to be relying on this credit card for a long time uh, or is it just to get us through this crisis with the intention being to convert it into some kind of longer-term uh, debt or bond issue and then slowly pay it off and get us back to back to good fiscal health?
0: Should that be a point of discomfort for <coughs> Timmel members and for the general public?
4: I, I think it's something that we need to be aware of. I'm not sure that at this point I'm, I'm ready to say I'm uncomfortable with, with the approach because it, it, I did say in my speech that actually I didn't expect necessarily an answer today. I didn't expect an answer now, but I would expect an answer by the time the next budget rolls round. <coughs> the Treasury Minister can tell us quite clearly... What, is, what his intention is because all that Timwald approved this week was was a, a borrowing kind of credit card facility if you like but only for a period of up to four years so my question for, for, for Elf really was what happens in year five because I don't want us to get to year four before we start thinking about year five we need to have a good plan as to actually this is the route we might take the, the road we might go down so that we're quite clear on what we're getting ourselves into you know, Timwald and government historically tend to look very very short term with some of these decisions when you're talking of this kind of money and you're talking of, of borrowing I think you need to be looking a lot more longer Term.
0: Mr. Cannon also promised a quarterly update uh, which will begin in October. Do you feel that provides enough
4: accountability? Uh, it- all depends what's in the update, I suppose, uh, and whether we're allowed to, to question it, whether we're given the details, whether they will answer some of the questions. I mean, one of the concerns I have is they describe these borrowing arrangements as commercially confidential and that's why they, they were uncomfortable with the amendment that I proposed, but actually they're going to be public eventually anyway. Everything eventually is made public, you know, so really the question is if they're not comfortable publishing details of, of interest rates and terms and conditions and that kind of thing. Uh, really, what information are we going to get in the update other than necessarily, well, we've, we've borrowed some money. Great. Thanks, thanks Al, for that information. I would really like to know more than that, just to make sure we are doing this in a sound fiscal way.
0: Are these views that you share, Mr. Watterson?
2: Well, absolutely. I mean, this is a lot of money to go and put on the uh, on the credit card. And um, one thing that certainly stands out at the moment, looking at what's called the budget update, um, is that there's really not an awful lot of data in there on which to base a lot of these assumptions and a lot of these uh, decisions. We still don't really know what good looks like. We still don't know what Treasury's aims and objectives are for us a massive sum of money that's um, going to be spent.
0: Mr. Cannon did uh, also give some detail about the way this would be financed. Let's listen in.
3: We've been negotiating a revolving credit facility with a syndicate of banks, all of whom have a presence on the island. This facility has an initial limit of 150 million pounds, extendable to 250 million pounds, and a term of two years, extendable ultimately to four on agreement. In operation, it would allow the Treasury to access tranches of funds for short periods to provide an alternative means to access cash against cashing in our investments.
0: Now, Mr Hooper and Mr Watterson, you're both, uh, by background, chartered accountants. You both have a particular focus on audit. You're probably better placed than most of us to provide some proper scrutiny of finances, of budgets and of budgeting processes. Where do you sit on the series of measures that, that Mr. Cannon's outlined, really, on Tuesday?
2: Well, I think you used the word uncomfortable earlier, and that's certainly, I think, where I am. We've got this medium-term facility, um, the details of which have sort of been disclosed to uh, to Tinwood members, but not to the general public. It's going to cost a minimum, bare minimum, of half a million pounds, whether we use it or not. That's a rather expensive sort of credit card arrangement fee that, um, that we're all uh, using. Um, we do know that we can get debt in large quantities relatively cheap at the moment and um, so effectively and that seems to be the way that treasure is going it's put our expressions for interest for um big amounts of debt and if that's the way we're going then why are we paying twice and that is because that's exactly what we're doing They've also um, been a flat out refusal to assess um, whether we should be liquidating our equities. We, the government has hundreds of millions of pounds in shares that could sell. Maybe now's the time, maybe now's not the time, um, but the, but it's also sitting on about 200 million pounds of cash. And what we haven't seen is a cash flow projection that, that shows us running dry and needing to, to walk into this facility, which is gonna cost a lot of money whether we use it or don't.
0: If you were in the Treasury Minister's shoes, what would you have done differently?
2: Um, I suppose by now, given that this conversation has been around for at least four years, it was around during Eddie Tier's time, to have that assessment ready, firstly, of whether we do need a long-term borrowing offer and so be ready to jump with that. So if we do need to borrow £200 million for uh, the long term to use it as a perfectly valid way of dealing with capital infrastructure and other projects that corporate vehicles used for um for their, their debt we should be ready to to jump on that now it seems to have been that that's um that's been lacking the other thing would be to spend your own money before borrowing others um as so said, there are cash reserves there already we don't certainly tinwood members haven't been told that uh, there isn't enough cash available
0: what's the reason for not using those has, has one been given
4: no uh, n- not not in so many words i mean the explanation that we've had uh, and i, I I, I tend to differ with my view actually than than Duan on this. That sometimes borrowing is cheaper than using mm-hmm. your own money. It can be, um, you know, if you're getting a decent return off your investments, five or six percent, uh, but actually borrowing money, you're doing that at half a percent or two percent, actually, you are saving money in the long run essentially. So it can be that borrowing is the right thing to do. And and I think for me, I'm I'm not as I'm not as uncomfortable with the approach that's been taken. I think that. Uh, with my, my, my audit hat on really looking at this as, a, as a quite a prudent move to say actually let's make sure I've got all the options available to me that's, that's the way I see the Treasury Minister's strategy is saying I might not need to use this but I want the option available just like he, he might not want to liquidate equities but the option is is there if he needs it the only thing that I think hasn't been done is I don't think there's been enough uh, conversation with, with members or with the public actually explaining what we're doing and just being a bit more open about, uh, about the costs of this about the potential options about some of the assessments I mean, Julian talks about that he doesn't know if there's been an assessment done of liquidity equities and what the cost of that would be I'd be surprised if Treasury haven't done that assessment they must have done, uh, but really we haven't seen it, I think is the point so, you know, I am I think that the strategy, the overall strategy that Treasury is following seems to make a lot of sense but I just think it's, it really needs to be explained and articulated a bit better a bit clearer to people.
2: I mean, well one of the things that, that came up was uh, I got a bit of stick for not attending a workshop that, that you and Mr Shimmons ran um, and that was very much about assessing the problem and analysing it um, but at that point was anyone talking about borrowing £250 million because
4: it seemed to have come as uh, quite a surprise. Yeah yeah. so we were part of the workshops that were were done um, really that was that was more talking about economic recovery planning and actually how we might uh, see our way through this and what a new vision of the island might look like uh, and as part of those workshops i, I I think I'm right in saying that a lot of options were discussed, which would have included potentially borrowing. Um, but it really, those were more like sounding out exercises to actually what to, to members, what to uh, our agency members from the DFE, what what is the view of the private sector, what's the view of, of Timor members on actually where are we, where do we see ourselves going? Because part of the, the problem, obviously, is this is an almost unprecedented time for the island, mm-hmm. and we can't be making decisions in a vacuum. We need information. And I think that brings me back to my original point was that as DFE and Treasury reached out to, to the private sector to get that information in the same way they should have been able to share a bit more of that i think treasury should be able to share a bit more of that with members uh, about actually where, where the, the the argument in favor of this approach comes from because
2: if you look at the um the, the budget update the purple book as it's being known there isn't an awful lot of information in there to on which to base some of these decisions there's not an awful lot of that business feedback there's a lot of that macroeconomic data it's a very much a finger in the wind document and that's just, that. That's probably all the data that is available to anyone at the moment. That's not sort of just anecdotal, and um, this is very much a sort of the next step. We we always knew that the the money were the first tranche was going to end at the end of June. This is the next step, and, and that's fine. That that's exactly where we are. Um, as long as we're not trying to pretend that that's we're somewhere else than where we are. I suppose we'll come back to some
0: information sharing themes uh, shortly, but. Um, just to put the same question to you, Mr. Hooper, if I could, what would you have done differently were you in
4: Mr. Cannon's shoes? Well, I think that I think that's—I've uh, already touched on that—is what I would have done differently. Really, is it's just shared a bit more information. Like so, I said, don't, I don't—I don't fundamentally disagree with the strategy that that's being taken. I think that having all those options available to you is the right approach. And, and yeah, there is going to be a cost associated with that, but in the longer term, if that if that cost that Julian's mentioned is is all we end up paying to have that that backup plan well it's worth doing you know I've, I've, I've got a credit card why have I got that just in case I need one I don't use it regularly but I have one and I think that in that context it makes sense it really the, the approach has been taken by Treasury the only thing I would have done different really is as I would have tried to share more of that information with Timble members if even if I couldn't share it with the public I would have tried my best to share it with with members so that when these decisions are being made I think we've, we'll have a clearer view of, of actually what, what the bigger landscape is and what's going on.
0: Tell me honestly um, from the public's point of view how confident should we feel in the island's current financial situation?
4: I think I think relatively, or pretty confident, actually. I've, you've, you've talked about in the past uh, you know, the recovery will be a, a U-shape or a V-shape recovery and, and things getting back on their feet quite quickly. I think generally uh, where we are financially is a lot of stuff has been deferred rather than lost at, at this moment in time. So really, what what I what I think we're seeing is is uh, we're buying ourselves some time with this strategy to see how things turn out. Uh, and really, it seems like things are turning out for us relatively well. I think there will be an impact. That's that's undeniable. There'll be an impact personally i was very surprised to see some of the figures in that budget update uh, they're actually a lot better than i was anticipating so the three uh, three scenarios that are in there about reduction in government income i think they the worst one hovers around about 80 percent of, of government income and that was a surprise i thought we'd be much much lower so in, in that context you know I've, I've i'm relatively confident that we're going to come out of this on the other side in a, in a reasonably good place especially in comparison to some of our neighbors
0: you have lots of nodding mr watson
2: agree on the whole yeah i, I certainly agree that um, this is Where we're at now in the the package that's been put together is about buying time. Uh, Certainly when the first tranche uh, was going out through the door and we were uh, talking about that uh, in Tynwald, um, the picture looked very bleak. We've been really fortunate. I've described this as being we're currently in the eye of the storm. The health um, crisis has sort of come and gone, on the Isle of Man at least, whereas in other countries it's lingering on. The economic storm is yet to come, really. Um, so we are in that sort of peculiar calm whilst the government money is going into the system. That's a positive. Our recovery has been better than most. So we are going to fare better from this crisis than many other jurisdictions. We do still have to remember, though, that um, it was the ambition of this administration to balance the books by the end of it. That clearly isn't going to happen. That wasn't going to happen anyway. It, it was still very much reliant on um, unfunded savings targets and and some rather sort of woolly accounting in terms of where that money was going to come from to balance the book. So that, that wasn't being achieved anyway. This is only going to make matters worse. And that's something that's really going to have to be grappled by the next administration. You said in Timwald that
0: we're waiting uh, for this storm to crash over us in the coming months. The Treasury Minister has already said that we'll know more by kind of September, October. What will we know then? Do you think that we don't already know?
2: Well, it's still really early days in terms of seeing um, how Significantly, businesses have been hit. I still don't think we've got a real idea as to how many businesses haven't made it through so far. Certainly in terms of the self-employed, and um, that's that data is going to take a little while to come through. There are also um, what we would call zombie businesses in the, in the accountancy profession; those who are just sort of going hand to mouth, month to month, and um, when the government funding dries up, those businesses just won't be viable which it is been... doing
0: now really that's that was part of what this update was about is that the support schemes are starting
2: to be withdrawn again well i think we've gone from a hose pipe to a tap is perhaps the better analogy for that one that the, the water's still definitely flowing um but it, this is about where what data we have and we've really only got three months into this uh, whole crisis. I know it seems a lot longer to everybody, but that's not an awful lot of time in terms of looking at a quarter's sort of VAT collections and looking at other sort of macroeconomic data about how the economy is faring. So it is too soon to, to tell really. And so i, I I do accept that um, there isn't the data there at the moment. September, provided that things carry on the way that they are now and we don't have a return of the health crisis, September will be a place to sort of stop and say, right, where are we? And now how do we tweak where we're going? There is a big if there,
0: isn't there? And that's the elephant in the room. There's a big asterisk on everything we heard this week, really. And
2: a second wave would flip all of that on its head again, wouldn't it? Absolutely. And what we've seen really is a massive surge of public confidence in living working being part of an economy on the isle of man and um, vulnerable people coming back out feeling confident that they can do that and um, that's why the border strategy really needs to bear an awful lot more scrutiny and i i, I think we are still have there are still questions to answer there i think we are living in a colander not a bubble so we're relying a bit more on luck than we should be um but ultimately people are confident enough to go out there and And spend money and I think we get some cases that's going to be tested Um, and you know we really can't afford that.
0: We are in a almost a mini bubble right as we speak because we're within still the fortnight sort of a incubation period from when uh, the Isle of Man moved to its next stage of the borders reopening (laughs) Um, so could we see some changes again in the short term sort of in the next week even?
2: Well, that would be up to Council Ministers. Tinwell don't get consulted on policy like that. Um, and that's um, one of the, the, the side effects of the emergency measures, isn't it? Um, just to quote,
0: this week's budget update is a little light in details, according to a body representing Manx businesses. Uh, the Isle of Man Chamber of Commerce has raised some concerns about how business <coughs> support packages are going to be paid for and delivered. Uh, Mr Hooper, you spoke a little bit in your um, contributions on Tuesday about what the welfare state might look look like moving forwards what would you like to see
4: well i, I mean i think this crisis has shown us that we have a, a reasonably good support network in place uh, but it isn't perfect and, and that's why the treasury had to roll out new benefits like Mira because they acknowledged actually the, the system that we had just would not have been adequate to support people throughout the the crisis uh, going forward though I think it's a, a great opportunity to, to look back at some of these things is actually how did they work what were the good aspects of, of MIRA, and should we be learning from that I mean from from day one I've been very keen to push this idea of, of removing conditionalities so getting rid of a lot of the conditions around some of these support schemes and benefits because the most often the conversation I've been having with with businesses is uh, they've fallen foul of one of the rules or another one of the rules and some of them are, are genuine you know they haven't uh, they haven't been complying with their tax obligations or something uh, other others are a little bit more fundamental so they've, they've been so busy trying to keep their business alive, they've missed a filing deadline. Or they've been so busy trying to keep employees on the books, they haven't realised they had to do certain things in a certain way. And I think those kind of conditions you look at and go, right, take a step back. What's the, the purpose of these schemes? It's to support people, it's to support businesses. So we need to make that as, as easy as, and as seamless as possible. And this is why I was really pleased to see when the education department brought through their uh, school vouchers, um, plans for over the summer. There's not going to be an assessment process for that. They're simply going to, to look at the system, the data they already hold, say, if you're already in, in receipt of free school meals, you're going to get a voucher in the post. And, and that's really how the welfare state should work. You know, if we know we have all the information on people anyway as a government. They have all the income tax and employment data. You've got a, a good picture of, of what people are, are doing in their, in their financial circumstances. So actually it should be relatively straightforward to make some of these systems and background processes talk to each other and actually get people the help they need without having to worry about going through these complex, you know, loads of conditions, loads of questions on all these, these applications. Could we trim a lot of that back? I think the answer is yes. I think if you do that, inevitably there's going to be an, an uptake, uh, an increase in the number of people that are receiving benefits, because I suspect there are a lot of people out there eligible for things they don't know about. Mm-hmm. And, and then you have to pay for that somehow. And on the flip side of it, actually one of the things that those workshops that you mentioned earlier, taught us and one of the things that has come across very clearly from this crisis is I think everyone's acknowledged there needs to be a a new social contract between government and people and government and businesses and I think if we want uh, a better uh, more comprehensive welfare system if we want to be able to provide this kind of support longer term uh, then maybe we're going to have to look at how we how we ourselves pay for that and how, how companies contribute to that how businesses contribute and what was really reassuring for me is actually across the piece I think everyone is on board with this conversation you know not everyone agrees on the right outcome but everyone is saying actually we need to have this conversation now now is the right time to to do what i called for in my manifesto four years ago let's review our tax and welfare systems and make them work better you know so i'm actually in some ways i'm quite glad that we're doing that now i'm obviously horrified that we're why we're doing it and why we're here but if there is a silver lining to this crisis it might be a a better way forward
0: mr hooper you said you were encouraging treasury to take a hard look at the welfare net and you've just said now now is the time. Yeah. Mr. Watterson, do you agree with that?
2: Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we are quite lucky about in the Isle of Man is that whilst we've generally followed the UK welfare model, um, there is actually a lot less conditionality built into yeah. our system than there is in the UK. So we are, we do have a far better regime than that. But these complexities are built up by a desire by generally politicians um, to respond to different circumstances. Mm. So the complexity is at the expense of simplicity. Um, and it, it's also about making sure that there isn't that sort of... Um, ability to be flexible in a way, because you're delegating decision making uh, right down to um, junior civil servants. This sounds a bit like means testing. Well, in, interestingly, I know I, I end up in the same point that um, Mr Hooper arrives at. And one of the things that came out of the Poverty Committee's first report, when we talked largely about definitions, but we also mm. set out a set of future directions, and um, was what is the benefit system for? And that is actually the, the theme that we've decided to pick up and run with as the next... Um, challenge uh, to see what really what the purpose of social security is and whether there is a coherent thinking mind that's setting the, this broad policy. Um, because at the moment it seems very much a, an incremental approach to social security. We have what was there always and we just sort of operate mm-hmm. them by so much without really thinking about what we're trying to achieve with the whole system. That's certainly what we're finding. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see how that how that conversation goes forward over time.
0: The Treasury Minister said that um, as the as things like mira are withdrawn uh, well incrementally and we'll sort of see what the true picture of unemployment is like mm-hmm. to be i mean is that, that's quite a cynical approach isn't it in a way because you're you're, mm-hmm. so, you're sort of taking the rug out from other people and seeing what happens
2: well, we talked really about those uh, zombie businesses, didn't we? And, and this is, I think, what the Treasury Minister is talking about. What of these businesses have really got the, the fundamentals of their business right and will survive and will go forward and which of them are not working already uh, and th- they've been relying on government support to keep them going. That's just not a sustainable option forever.
0: So how do we differentiate between the, the sort of result of the COVID-19 pandemic and the economic fallout and the problems that were underlying there already?
2: We're not necessarily sure you need to I mean the market is a, is a great level and'll we'll sort a lot of these these problems out ultimately. What we need to make sure is that the damage isn't any deeper or longer lasting than it absolutely needs to be and so it's that um providing perhaps rather a trampoline rather than a concrete floor for everyone to land on um when covid hit and so that's exactly what's been done and there's no disagreement really in Tinwald about That principle, and that there's an absolute unanimity that we needed that support package, and I think the support package, um, in terms of the the purple book, was unanimously approved. I think we've there's some arguments about some of the the ways that we're going to get there, but that's absolutely healthy.
0: Has it served its purpose now? The support packages. No, we're we're
2: still only in the second phase of the 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 support, and we probably anticipate there'll be another one to go over this winter um, yeah. so that we can really sort of start looking afresh at the economy as a whole in the spring. Um, until then, we're just not going to have the, the data to make realistic decisions about um
4: about how flexible that trampoline needs to be. Yeah, it's all about buying time. That that's really what we're trying to do here is to say, look, if you switch the tap off immediately, you know that will cause will cause chaos. We all know that. So what what I think the Treasury Ministry is trying to do is is actually turn things off gradually and, and taper things down cool. so that we can give businesses a chance to, to actually ease back in or, or gradually get back into to some kind of normality. And I think I think Jim's kind of right there that as as that happens, you will still see some businesses failing because obviously you can't tailor the support scheme so far down that it's going to let every individual business recover at their own rate, you have to kind of try and manage it on a more strategic level, and that's not ideal, but that is that is the unfortunate reality, I think. So as long as the the, the winding down of the support schemes is, is gradual enough and is, and is matched as closely as possible to the recovery of, of the economy, then hopefully like David says, this this won't be as any worse than it absolutely has to be. But I think there has to be an acknowledgement from from government and from Tim World that these support schemes are going to be needed for, for a while, uh, if not across the whole economy, at least in some very specific sectors where there, their chance to generate income has has almost been wiped out by the crisis. And the other thing we we have to remember, I think, is that just because some of these businesses are now back on their feet, actually they still lost three months' worth of of income, at least, during what is normally the busiest time of year for a lot of these businesses. And so it isn't enough for us to say, actually you're back to trading at normal levels in in October. You know, your October looks the same as your last October. Yes, but we lost the TT. We lost three months of the very, very busy money-generating period. And we have to bear that in mind, I think, as we, we roll out these support schemes going forwards
0: in your contribution on tuesday mr watson you spoke about some individuals and companies taking some liberties with the schemes that how, was, how, how big a problem do you think that's been
2: well i don't know that's why i asked um the, the treasury minister mentioned it in his presentation to tinwood members and i thought that was really important to explore um and to find out more about and um, it's a shame that the treasury minister um, didn't respond in any meaningful way on that point in the debate when it summing
4: up so that's something that a conversation that's going to have to continue over the summer
0: mr hooper do you agree
4: uh, in, in some ways, no, actually. I mean, my my issue with, with this, again, comes back to what the welfare state should look like. I'm much more of the view that I would rather a system that catches more people and that allows a few people to take advantage than we say, actually, we narrow it down so much that, that no one can take advantage, but actually you're excluding people who are in genuine need. And I think any system has to find that balance. Uh, and so in any kind of support system, you're going to find people that find it might be easier, for example, to, to stay on mirror than go back to work, or it might be easier for a business to, to claim that they want more support, even though they maybe haven't been paying in the right levels of national insurance or VAT or what have you over the years. But actually the numbers of that are are, are relatively minor by comparison, I think, to the number of people out there who absolutely needed this support. And if you'd have narrowed the schemes too much you would have been excluding even more people i mean i know i know there are still businesses out there who haven't been able to get the support that really was designed to help them because of like we talked about earlier falling foul of one or other of the, of the conditions for whatever reason and with, some of those, just
0: sorry with your constituency hats on have you had much feedback from members of the public who have fallen foul of some of the, some of those rules
4: yeah absolutely and i mean i've spent quite a lot of time over the last couple of months trying to support individuals and businesses with with their applications, with the, the exceptions process that was introduced to try and capture people that fell outside the rules. But again, that process itself is, is quite complex, quite time-consuming, and if you've got people who are really trying to save their business, do they have all the time in the world to be filling out government forms and providing evidence? So it's... It's been a mixed bag, actually. I'd like, from my perspective, I think the schemes have worked really well. They've captured most people, uh, but there have still been a few people that just haven't been able to get the support that they really need. And Mr.
0: Watson, some nodding. Was it a similar experience yeah, no. in the in the south? I, you- ab-
4: absolutely, yeah, and I agree
2: completely with the the, the commentary that Laurie provided there. Um, because what you could have done, you could have started off with a very narrow scheme and expanded it as you sort of learnt more. And that would have taken time and that would have cost businesses. Or you start off with a wide focus and narrow it down over time, which is the approach that, that's been taken.
0: It's more expensive that way. Isn't it is it?
2: more expensive that way. And I don't think we were, I, I was necessarily talking about um, uh, people who happen to fall inside or outside of, of the system. There is a value for money argument in all of this, which I'm sure um, Mm. uh, Laurie and I will talk about um, uh, over the summer as members of the Public Accounts Committee. Um, But really, um, this was about people. And it was the Treasury Minister that introduced it in the presentation about people who were gaming the system. Um, And obviously, as we taper, as we as we refine it, that will get less. But it's a case of do we have any ideas to how they were doing that and how we might actually work out. Who was doing that, where the weaknesses were in the system, and whether there's any chance of of whether we need to even start looking at recoverability of that money. I don't know, because I just don't know what the evidence was that he was talking about at the time, and we haven't been able to find out more
0: yet. I'd just like to come back to um, some concerns I think you both share about information sharing from Treasury. Um, There's lots of commentary on this in the budget debate. Uh, Mr. Watson. you said there was a culture of unnecessary secrecy in Treasury, and um having having read the documents in front of you you said you weren't sure what's in it that was so secret were you expecting more you know in a way perhaps that
2: no is, is
0: that what we can infer from that
2: no as i said in the debate what i had expected was given that there was nothing in there that was um market shaking that was um something that really required the secrecy what i'd have hoped is that the treasury minister would have put that on the order paper uh like anything else, and been going up and down the country, selling his vision for the next stage and being really open and transparent about what he was looking to do.
0: So did you want a mini-budget roadshow almost, like we've seen in, in well, previous years for, for the, the full budget in the spring?
2: What I don't think was healthy it was getting £250 million pounds to be approved by Tynald in borrowing without actually sort of trailed it to the public first. Bear in mind that not every member of uh, of Tynwald has got a financial background or financial experience in, in, in this sort of terms. Um, they've not been able to go anywhere else for advice because it's top secret. Um, and, and we all sworn to secrecy before the debate and the Treasury Minister announced us at 10.30, we've all voted on it by one o'clock.
0: Was this almost a continuation of the culture of emergency powers, perhaps? Uh,
2: I would say it's more deep-seated than that. This is something that is peculiar to Treasury, and it's the way that it operates um, the finances of of government. There is a culture of secrecy there. It's something that I've raised on many, many budget debates. Um, I think a lot of it is unnecessary. Um, There isn't really the reason for a lot of the stuff, for example, how government's going to spend its money over the, the... the forthcoming year, frankly, is not something that needs to be uh, secret. There are sometimes things around taxation that, lead to for, uh, that need anti-forestalling provisions and things like that, but these are few and far between. We've got a very stable tax system. So really, I think it does come down to a, a cultural issue, one that actually may be designed to prevent effective scrutiny by members because they can't go anywhere for advice, Except Treasury You've, vote, you've voted
0: against whole budgets before on similar grounds
2: Yeah, and I, I'd really hope that um, you know, third time was a charm in terms of a, a, administrations in terms of tackling this issue of, uh, of transparency and it just hasn't been the case
0: Another quote Treasury treats Timwood like mushrooms when it comes to financial <laughs> information What does that mean?
2: I think we all uh, are aware of the old joke about um, treating people like mushrooms, but I, I do find it bizarre that we give the public two weeks to um, scrutinise something that is about the importation of grey partridges, and yet we give them two and a half hours to discuss whether we are allowed to borrow a quarter of a billion pounds on behalf of the taxpayer. It's just something that's fundamentally not right. I think a discussion of grey partridges is probably one for
0: another day. <laughs> and uh, But anyway, um, Mr Hooper, you praise the Treasury Minister for not taking an austerity approach... Um, to the man on the street, what does that mean and, and what were you worried about?
4: Well, I mean, they, the obvious solution to having a massive reduction in your income is to slash your expenditure. I mean, I've, I was a bit concerned listening to some of the Man in Line where the Treasury Minister was talking about the education uh, budget and this pay rise for teachers and saying, actually, Treasury's only going to fund a portion of that. The rest has to come out of your budgets. That's what I'm concerned about, is that Treasury could have taken that approach across the board and they could have just said, right, actually, we've, we've lost a lot of income, so we're going need, to need you to put your charges up massively. We're going to need you to significantly roll back on the services you're providing. And don't get me wrong, government needs to reprioritise, needs to slim down. I'm not against that. But it shouldn't be done on like a wholesale, we just need to slash 20% across the board kind of basis because that's quite indiscriminate. And often what happens when you have indiscriminate measures is the most vulnerable people are the ones that lose out at the end of the day. Treasury Minister could have taken that approach. He didn't. He decided instead to say, right, I'm going to try and do this in a gradual way, in a managed way, Uh, and that's what comes back to that talk about having the various options available to him, how he funds that. And that, I think, was was quite a a sensible approach to say, look, let's avoid this slash-and-burn culture and try and say, let's do this in a managed, in a grown-up way, really, which is quite reassuring.
0: Politically, would an austerity approach have been safer, perhaps, for the Treasury Minister?
4: I don't know. It's it's certainly an approach that's kind of been leaned into into the past, I think. Uh, I don't think we've ever had true austerity on the island, not in the same way that they have uh, in other places, but it's definitely an approach that I think would have found more favour in previous administrations than done in this one. Uh, and I think this, this also kind of talks a little bit about what June was just saying about this culture of secrecy. I mean, I'm not sure I agree with him entirely on everything he was just saying but there's definitely something in that. Uh, I, mean, I was quite heavily involved and I still am and I still hope to be going forwards uh, in the economic recovery planning and the work around that for my role in, in enterprise and it was quite difficult to be able to have to sit down with restaurateurs, with, with people in the hospitality industry with, with the victualers and actually not be able to give them all the information that I had because I didn't quite know what was public and what wasn't and there. It, it did feel almost like they were trying to control the release of this information, which I would have understood had they been doing something massive, like we're going to slash everything across the board. Or, But actually, when the Treasury Minister came out with this much more measured approach...
0: There are elements of confidentiality required,
4: aren't there? Uh, absolutely there are, but, but I'm, I'm talking more on the, the big picture stuff. There's no reason why this, this approach... I mean, if this was trialled in the UK, for example, you'd have had news articles saying the Chancellor is going to announce a £100 million mm, package exactly. for support. Uh, we, we couldn't do that in the same way, so we, with the conversations that we were having with business businesses were support is coming, you know, trust us, it's on its way, it's a it's a good package, it's gonna be flexible, it's gonna be worked on. But actually we couldn't say and this is what it will look like and this is how it will affect you as as a business individually because actually we didn't have all that information at one point and equally then when we did have all the information it, it kind of folded into this budget process which obviously has its own has its own challenges that June's kind of outlined.
0: Anything you disagree with, uh, Mr Watterson? Well,
4: there's the the assumption that there
2: was the need for um, the confidentiality on on what was actually in the purple book. I'd love to know, really. Pick an item in there that you think actually would have damaged the economy, would have undermined business confidence, we would have... um, been able to, people would have been able to uh, change their tax arrangements or, or government would have in any way lost out had that been announced two weeks earlier and you'd have gone on a roadshow. Tell me what was in that purple book that required the secrecy.
4: And that's kind of my point really. It's, it's a budget and it is, I mean, the Treasury Minister's first budget or second budget was a budget of confidence, I think. Uh, and I, I don't think I agreed at the time with that, but I think actually this update could be seen as a budget of confidence, because he is saying, I'm going to be spending, I'm going to be supporting, I'm going to be uh, getting, getting involved actually, that is a budget that builds confidence. And really, is it the right thing to do to leave you to the last minute to say that? Or actually, could we have been saying that two weeks ago? Look at what's coming. Look at what I'm going to be asking Timwald for. It's all about building confidence at this point. And I think actually the Treasury, maybe unintentionally, missed a trick there.
0: Mr Hooper, in your contributions, you did a lot of looking to the future. And that's what I'd like to do now. Um, you spoke about uh, an emphasis on trying to reimagine our future on the Isle of Man, reforming the social contract between government and our people some of the, the uh, well-repeated words from the Treasury members were inclusive digital green and safe future what does that mean and what do you think that contains and
4: looks like well that was that was kind of the essence of my speech really and I think June's touched on this already the budget document itself didn't contain anything itself that was groundbreaking it was really a statement of where we are and and really the whole debate was about and really should have been about where are we going what so is- was there
0: a lack of foresight perhaps in the budget update
4: no i don't know that's not what i mean at all because in the treasury minister's remarks he talked a lot about about where we're going and what what where he hopes to see us go and what i what i what i envisaged by that conversation around a, an, an inclusive digital green safe future is is exactly what it says on the tin quite honestly you know we, we are uh, essentially at the moment COVID free as an island so we are a safe place to live and work and we always have been in fairness and this just adds another another layer of that that safety That, that I, this idea of a digital uh, inclusive green future actually is, is everything we've been talking about for years exactly. we've been talking about the climate change agenda we've been talking about creating green jobs creating renewable energy sources a renewable industry sustainable industry we talked about I mean the biggest biggest thing for me at the moment is about housing and actually the UK have announced a big uh, scheme which is supposed to help people insulate and make the houses more energy efficient actually that's good for a load of reasons you know if we, if we were building more social housing on the island more public sector housing you're actually putting people in a, in a proper suitable appropriate house so they are, can are, afford
0: are those things accessible though
4: but they, they absolutely are, this is this is my point, it, this, if we're talking about uh, not going down the austerity route, we're talking about supporting industry, one way you do that is you, you provide support grants and handouts, and actually I don't think any businessman wants that, what they want to do is run their business. So in that context, the right thing to do is say, how do you stimulate the construction sector? Well how about, we know we've got challenges with housing on the Isle of Man, how about we launch a scheme that enables people to insulate and energy efficiency improve their own homes? How about we launch a scheme that says if you can't get into a affordable, suitable accommodation, well let's build more of it. Let's encourage that to happen. And that's what I mean when I'm talking about a a green and inclusive future actually. These these measures are good not only because they support the economy during a, a difficult time, they support a vital sector during a difficult time, they also help people get new skills and retraining, they help people actually find a nice safe affordable place to live and I think if if the lockdown has taught us anything you know making sure that, that our homes are appropriate for our for our family appropriate for our needs that they're safe that they're warm that is absolutely essential and I think that's we, we really risk if, if we don't take this opportunity that opportunity that's in front of us we risk missing it and we risk missing out on this this absolutely uh, sort of once in a lifetime chance to say look we're coming out of the old world now this is what we want the island to look like so let's do it
2: I completely agree with Laurie this is all about an accelerated form of transformation using the crisis as a way of springboarding in but providing real direction for that recovery not just saying you know we want a general recovery it's giving you know four particular themes there um, in terms of giving it direction for economic reasons building but also as a catalyst for ideas to get people focused and thinking about how this economic recovery is going to happen to start thinking about new business ideas new business opportunities this is where government's money is going to go be a part of that journey and get in now and that, that's really a great opportunity for, for businesses who have struggled or maybe people looking to sort of end one enterprise and start something different who have got an entrepreneurial flair there's real opportunities here in in the with these funds
0: in the same sitting we heard about this uh, citizens forum on climate change for example is that part of what you're talking about engagement with businesses and individuals
2: yeah it, it has to be and it's great to see um, government not just sort of operating in that in that we've we'll used the word bubble again, but in that silo, but to actually bring people in about and to provide some critical questioning about how we do things um, within government, but also to uh, spur them on in terms of the ideas sharing, because it's by bringing people together and sharing ideas that this is really going to happen. Uh, Mr. Watson,
0: on a complete tangent, um, <laughs> also in this sitting, uh, we we read that the health department's overspending again. <gasps>
2: Are you surprised? Am I, heck? No, of course I'm not surprised. Um, what it goes to show is that really the, the department really hasn't yet got a grip of its transformation programme. It's still obviously not as far on as I think they would have hoped it was. Obviously, it was a, an early reports by the Public Accounts Committee that spurred this realisation that doing the same thing was not going to get the department anywhere differently. So Jonathan Michael was brought in to sort of... Uh, reimagine the, uh, the the future of the health services but what we haven't yet seen is the real sort of tangible differences to some pretty basic practices even but um i suppose the the opportunities of, of covid to have to do things differently again may be that we can rebuild things in a different way from the way that they've been done previously because that's what's fundamentally needed here
0: i think we're talking in the region of the department being 2% over budget at this point and the hospital at 9% over seven budget, right. is yeah. that is that about right? Yeah, that sounds about
2: right. It's yeah. seven million, I think.
0: Is that a priority? Is that the priority? Do you think reforming health, where do these things sit? Climate change, health, we've got lots of big ticket issues and we can't do them all can we?
2: Well we're going to have to do them all because otherwise we're not going to have a sustainable government that's when you've got to start either asking people for more money or you've got to start cutting your coat according to your cloth. And those are pretty fundamental political decisions. There is a more efficient health service available. Um, Sir Jonathan Michaels outlined that. The um, Public Accounts Committee's reports, the three of them, have identified tens of millions of pounds of potential savings here.
0: You will have read the report a year on from those recommendations. Are you satisfied with progress?
2: I will confess that because of everything that's been going on in Tunnel, I have not yet read that document, but I will be giving it an awful lot of um, careful look over the summer because it will form um, some questions about value for money in the health service going forward, which the pressure needs to be kept on there.
0: Mr Hooper, do you
4: agree? I do actually uh, I think I think Joan's right that all these issues have to be dealt with and I know that's uh, easy to say isn't it but the reality is that they're all, they're all multiple sides of the same dice or multiple sides of the same coin you know the climate change agenda the the growing the economy the getting us back on our feet is is the how do you pay for this yeah. question uh, but also a lot of those things will feed into better healthy lives and better healthy outcomes for people which helps take pressure off the health service and then that means you have to still have an efficient and an effective health service that really meets people's needs. And we know going into this crisis, we didn't have that. We had, we had systemic problems across the board. And we know that the crisis has exacerbated a lot of that. But I think I'm quite Confident that that listening to when the health minister speaks, talking to his team, that they really do have this uh, at the heart of what they're trying to do, and they all acknowledge, I think, that change needs to happen. They all seem very committed to it. So now it's just a case of of helping them and supporting them, and like June says, keeping the pressure on to make sure that it happens.
0: At least there aren't any big infrastructure projects to occupy people's attentions instead, which is good. Um, I must um, I must quickly look ahead again. We're running out of time. To the future, uh, we've heard some concerns um, about what might happen should TT 2021 not go ahead and um, we've spoken about a second wave as being one potential disruption to come what happens if we don't have a festival next year
2: well what's been talked about is the um a life of winter after winter after winter um, because that's what it is for the tourist season um and you know there's only so many economic winters that business can stand it would obviously mean that there is further support but the, the future is I think a lot more rosy than that at the moment and whilst it would be wrong not to plan and, and have some contingency for that and, and certainly consider it as a future option um, I'd like to think that the as we go on the chances of that being the future are less and less.
0: A lot does seem to be pinned on next the next tourist season mm-hmm. though.
2: Well. Uh, A significant amount of employment is dependent on the tourism industry. So um, with all those people who depend on that industry um, for their work directly and indirectly as well, when you add all that together, it is is actually a significant part of the employment levels in our economy. So, yes, an awful lot is pinned on that. Uh, With it goes, you know, the job seekers count and, and how much government is putting out through the door to support people not working well than actually being economic generators. It's a massive difference and uh, so it is an important one. It is something that we need to be ready to um, hit tourist season 2021 with a vengeance. Just
0: finally, uh, Julian Watterson and Laurie Hooper, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Will we see your names on the ballot papers next year?
2: Well, the local authority elections, Laurie. (laughs)
4: <laughs>
0: well uh, i've been there done that mr hooper at,
4: at this point i'd like to say yes actually that's, that's definitely my intention um i know, know
0: i appreciate a lot can change but as things stand now
4: as it's things stand yes. now yeah i mean i've still got 12 months to put my foot in it but yes absolutely <laughs> uh, that's definitely my intention at this point
2: mr watterson loads of opportunities ahead over the next 12 months as laurie said still an absolute passion for political life